It's episode 103 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Ean. Today on the program is Connor O'Sullivan. He's head of sound design at Google and works on a number of products that you use every day. We're going to talk about how both sound and silence can affect the user experience of the products in our lives. Connor, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. You know, the first thing that popped into my head uh, when we started talking about you coming on the show uh, was like special effects in movies. Um, I remember as a kid in middle school, the first Star Wars movie came out and I went to go see it with my dad. And there was a documentary a couple months after that on TV about how they did all the practical special effects. And I was just fascinated with that. Uh, and I remember they showed uh, how some of the sounds were made. They had like this guy had this long steel cable stretched out and he would hit yes. it with a metal bar to make the sound of the blasters. Uh, and there's <laughs> another guy with this giant synthesizer covered in patch cables making the R2-D2 uh, dialogue, I guess. And I can remember I was like eight years old or whatever. And it totally surprised me that like they did all of that afterwards and that like the guns didn't right. make any noise and that like C-3PO wasn't actually tar talking to R2-D2. <laughs> and I was like crushed and fascinated. Right. Um, but man, we've come a long way since then, haven't we? Totally. And yeah, I mean, a lot of that amazing work uh, by, I think, Ben Burt and his team, actually, a lot of it was done in the Bay Area where I'm located, I think. Um, and they they had uh, Skywalker sound do a lot yeah. of that really, really interesting work that added so much dimension to that movie and then kind of laid the groundwork for, for sound design in film uh, and TV to become its own art form i think um since then but it's it is interesting to think about that as a discipline um when we think about sound design you know there are even sub disciplines within sound design and sound design for films uh, as you talked about there super interesting area for tv as well uh for gaming as well you know uh, probably since then, it has become it has come something into its own sound design for for games, and um, the area I work in is product sound design. Uh, so I I work on designing sound as part of the user experience and thinking about the role of sound um, as an element of design in the product and uh, also for brands. So well, what a what a brand sounds like. And, you know, the way I think of the difference between those disciplines is that for uh, movies, for film, um, for gaming, a, a lot of times you're trying to kind of create these other world experiences and create uh, kind of immersive landscapes um, with sound. But for sound design for product, you're really trying to create something that has both function and aesthetic. Uh, it's something that should stand up to uh, user interactions over time. So there should be a kind of a, uh, a natural arc to a user's interaction with the sound. And ideally, um, it's something that will actually become part of the design story and part of a, uh, a valuable part of the product and brand experience. So if done right and if done and if it's successful, it's potentially even something that's ownable 
and something that has real value to a company and to a brand. Uh, so, you know, there's different roles of sound in different experiences. The, the discipline of uh, sound design for, for products is relatively new, you know, um, and as, as user experience design itself as a discipline has grown, um, we've had the opportunity for sound design to become a part of that too, which is, which is great uh, from my perspective at least. Mm-hmm. But yeah, adding, adding those kind of thoughtful components that, that are there for a reason uh, but also are very considered is a, a, an important part of product sound design that maybe differentiates itself from what a sound designer might tr- try to do in gaming or in uh, uh, film or TV. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine um, where many times their work is really designed to draw the attention to it, right? To like exactly. build suspense or to evoke an emotion or or things like that. Whereas many times I imagine you want to try to take a little step back and fit into a different context. Yeah, that's, that's another uh, uh, good way to think about the difference between the role of sound in those different contexts. A lot of times as a sound designer for product experiences, unless I'm actively trying to get your attention, I would like the sound to essentially recede into the background and to feel like it's part of the overall fabric of the product experience. So um, I don't necessarily want you to be noticing every sound I'm playing as a product sound designer um, unless that's the intended function of the sound. But a lot of, you know, interaction sounds or sounds that might uh, support confirmation of a button being pressed or whatever it might be, those should really feel like they work well. They belong to the product experience. They're not jumping out too much. Sure, I might notice them a bit, but I'm not, my my attention hasn't been consciously kind of shifted uh, uh, in a very active way towards them. There are times when we might want to get your attention and and we can certainly uh, do that. But a lot of times it should just feel like it's it's part of the fabric of the product experience. And a great way that we can tell that our sound design is, is successful is if a user is uh, used to interacting with a product and hearing certain sounds as part of that experience, and then if we take away those sounds, they should feel like there's something missing there. And maybe even at first they can't uh, put their ear on exactly what's happening, uh, but they know that something feels off about the experience. And 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 that's definitely a, a marker of uh, a good good sound design or a successful use of sound design in, in, in our products. You know, I have a lot of questions about how you fit it in and how you work with the rest of the team and things like that. But before we get to that, I would love to hear sort of how you got to this, right? Uh, you've been doing this for, for quite a while, haven't you? I have, yeah. I've been doing it for a relatively long time. And I guess in terms of my own story for, from how I got to uh, where I am now, in terms of my academic background, so I studied uh, music and mathematics for my uh, primary degree. And then I uh, I always remember when I was in UCD, University College Dublin, and um, I always knew that I wanted to study music and I liked mathematics. And I, al- I always thought, well, you know, if, if music doesn't work out for me and I can't really get a job doing something related to music, at least I'll have mathematics to be able to fall back on. 
But I quickly kind of saw the relationship between music and mathematics and how closely connected they are. And, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily think that those things are very connected, but music is all about like rhythms and ratios and numbers, whether you whether you're consciously thinking about it or not, they are. Um, So, you know, I enjoyed the the kind of um, marriage between those two disciplines. And I always remember seeing a, a poster in the Department of Music for a master's degree program in uh, music technology. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head, like, oh, that's why I'm doing this. And that's what I, that's what I'm supposed to do. So I, I, uh, you know, worked towards making that happen. And um, I ended up studying a, a master's degree in music technology at the University of Limerick, which is also in Ireland. And I was fortunate enough to work with some really uh, talented and, and passionate people down there. And after I, d- I completed the master's, I had the opportunity to work in um, the Interaction Design Center, which is part of the University of Limerick uh, down there. And there were a couple of European Union funded projects that I was able to contribute to. And one of them in particular was around the idea of um, developing a um, chipset to generate polyphonic ringtones. Hmm. So at the time, polyphonic ringtones were just a thing. <laughs> and most ringtones on a phone um, were monophonic, you know, so they would play a single melody and you, you didn't have more than one note playing at one time. That's what monophonic means. Basically sounding like an old video game, that sort of chip tune kind of bleeps and bloops. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And then polyphonic ringtones started to become uh, more of a thing and, you know, ringtones started gaining in popularity. Uh, So we investigated ways that that we could do that kind of efficiently. And when I was uh, presenting a a paper on some of my work, I uh, met someone from uh, Motorola, a talented sound designer uh, by the name of David Brenner. And he started talking to me about um, some needs that they had in, in the, in the uh, consumer experience design team at Motorola to think about sound as part of the user experience. And um, would I be interested in potentially talking to them? And, you know, one of my first questions, well, apart from, apart from my initial reaction, which was like, absolutely, of course, I'd be interested. <laughs> Uh, you know, one of my first questions was, um, how big is your sound design team there? And uh, he basically said, well, you're looking at it. So I, I had pictured like, uh, you know, a, a room full of, or, you know, uh, rooms maybe full of sound designers working away in their sound studios. Uh, but no, that wasn't the case. So sound design at, at that point for, for product was really an emerging discipline. But that was how I, I made the transfer from thinking about sound in more of an abstract sense to actually uh, becoming involved in the product design process and really, really understanding the role of sound as part of a product experience, but also, in, you know, in a practical sense, actually working with product teams, with design teams um, and and thinking about the, the value that I could bring to the design experience in general so to give you a kind of a quicker uh, synopsis after that so I was at Motorola I worked on some really fun and interesting things there like people might be familiar with the hello moto ringtone and 
Hello, Moto. Uh, lots of ringtones that came out around that time with, with Razer and products like that. Sure. And then after that, I worked uh, at, at, uh, in the Seattle area on Xbox. So I worked on Xbox uh, platform sound and uh, brand sound. So ba- essentially, anytime you're interacting with the Xbox platform uh, or encountering Xbox brand, if you heard a sound... As part of that experience, that was something that I had worked on in some way. And some examples there that maybe people might be familiar with were um, Xbox dashboard sounds. So a lot of people that use their Xbox um, as they navigate through the dashboard and hear different sounds, uh, those were things I worked on. And also uh, the actual product sounds that the Xboxes themselves made when you press the button at the front of the uh, Xbox, I um, at, at one point I like put those sounds up on SoundCloud and and people like discovered them and absolutely you know uh, went crazy for hearing them and and I saw I, I was on um, Reddit at one point and someone posted this video where they they showed that their dog essentially was conditioned once they heard the Xbox powering off so the sound of the console turning off the dog would run into bed and and the thread had like already taken off but i just commented and i said hey you know it's kind of funny to see this but i actually you know i made this i i created that sound and uh i didn't think it would go anywhere but people you know saw it and and started uh, uh asking about it and were very interested just to hear even even in that those small sounds like mm. on and off some of the design constraints that those sounds had and sure. and some of the kind of uh, aspirational um, uh, ideas behind the sound that we were able to translate uh, people were just interested to hear that I bet yeah so yeah. Um, that was that was a fun uh, thing that I got to work on and then. For the past, I think, five and a half years now, I've been at Google. Uh, So I've been leading up the um, uh, product sound design discipline here across uh, different products. And that's been a really, really uh, um, fun and challenging and interesting opportunity. I really love working at Google. um, And I really love the opportunity I have to, to really think about sound in a way that's impactful and meaningful in people's lives. And to do it at the scale of, of Google is, is um, really something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess one of the things, some things that at Google that people might, might be familiar with is if they've interacted or used some of our products, like um, I've uh, worked on some of the uh, sounds on the Google Home device, for example, and also the Pixel phone. So people using Pixel phone, if they hear different ringtones and things like that, those were all some fun things that I got to work on. Um, and some of the sounds in commercials as well, like there's a, a a simple piano sound that you hear at the start of some of our commercials that I got to work on. And the the thing that uh, I enjoy telling people there, it's that it's, it's two notes, G to G, uh, G obviously for Google. Um, so that's the kind of story behind that sound. (laughs) Was that intentional or did that come afterwards? Well, that was absolutely intentional. Yeah. The, the, uh, when we, I was working on that sound, I worked with an internal team here at Google and, um, 
I actually had composed all of the sounds in the key of G because I I just thought it would be a nice anchor point to to work in that key for Google. Uh, but once I explained to people that that's what we, what I was doing, it was it was a very powerful uh, story for people to hear. You know, sure, it was nice to hear that. Oh, that's in the key of G for Google. So I made sure to like say that to people <laughs> <laughs> rather than just do it myself. Like, oh, that's consciously. fantastic! I want to hear yeah. more about the the work at Google, but uh, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. This episode of Presentable is brought to you by Pingdom. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click the buy now button or access any of your content? You might stumble across the problem by luck, but that's no good. You totally need a system. You need something to tell you when everything is running smoothly on your site and more importantly, when it's not. You need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. and That's more than 400,000 outages every single day. Pingdom helps you keep your sites and the sites that you love online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need alerts uh, about any critical website issue. They'll let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. Plus, they'll track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. And Pingdom has a no-fuss approach to getting started. All they need is your URL uh, so that you can monitor it and they'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM right now. That's pingdom.com slash relay FM. Uh, and you'll get a 30 day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you do sign up, use the code presentable at checkout and they'll take 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and relay FM. Great. So uh, you were just telling us about some of the work that you have done for Google. I'm really interested in how the, the, the discipline that you represent around sound design interacts with all the other disciplines of product development. Like there must be, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm just, I have a lot of questions about it because I've never done it. I've never worked on a product that had, uh, that had sounds built in. Uh, sure. So how's that work? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I really think about sound in as a part of the overall uh, design story. So it's it's no different than other design disciplines in that, you know, we try and take a first principle approach to what sound means as part of the product experience. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the principles that we espouse at Google that I've talked about in the past are the idea of a sound being um, informative honest and reassuring um so just to kind of dig into that for a little bit you know informative being we only play a sound uh a sound is it should be played for functional reasons and we only sit play a sound when it needs to be played a sound should be telling you something and it shouldn't just purely be used uh for uh you know uh, overly decorative reasons uh, so that's one of our one of our principles the other is uh, honest, where the sound um, should be an expression of the brand and of the overall user experience. So we think about like the aesthetic component, not just the functional component, which is more about an informative. Um, the sound should really represent the values of the brand and the design principles behind the product experience. And uh, reassuring then is the idea that to our users, we, we should be transparent to them and communicate uh, 
uh, state and, and things that they need to know uh, in an open and transparent way. So we really want to be respectful um, to our users and play sound to assure them that things are okay and also, you know, in a respectful way to let them know if they need to pay attention to something as well. So, uh, you know, those are the kind of principles that we take as we as we approach any any product um, engagement. But really, uh, we work as part of the, the design process with with the other disciplines. So whether that be, you know, visual design, interaction design, uh, motion, industrial design, also working with product managers, with um, marketing folk, with engineers, um, just making sure that we're kind of plugged into the overall design process and, and ensuring that that sound is um, feels like a natural part of that process too. Um, as much as possible and, and as kind of a way of just recommending to people if they're thinking about engaging with a sound designer as part of the product experience, you know, we we love being brought in as early as possible into that product story to make sure that we can be provide the, the right level of value uh, to that design process. And, you know, there might be things that could be needed up front that we need to make sure are built into the, the pipeline um, from a product or, or engineering perspective. I, I think a lot of frustrations that I've enc- encountered with other sound designers uh, that I've talked to is is if they're brought into a project quite late in the process and just asked to like add sound to this. Jazz it up uh, a little, would you? Exactly, yeah. Make, <laughs> make it sound good in post-production. So there's uh, there's certainly value in doing that, but uh, the best value is is uh, can be found if a sound designer is engaged really as part of the product experience and brought in early enough so that they're... Uh, uh, needs can be met and and the product can be planned accordingly. You know, it's really interesting as you were talking through some of the qualities of the sounds uh, that you design, being reassuring and informative and respectful and things like that. It, it reminded me a lot of a conversation we had on this program a few years ago now with Anna Picard, who was uh, the really the person responsible for the voice of Slack. And right. all the language that that came through, and I remember, you know, you probably remember, it's probably a decade ago now that Slack first came out. But the, just how warm and friendly, but also reassuring and and lots of clarity, and and you know oh, yeah. how good that experience was. And it seems like content strategy and sound design strategy probably have a lot of overlap there. Absolutely, um, uh, content strategy and and really. Uh, conversation design too. So yeah. as you think about voice interfaces, the tone and personality of a voice in some of uh, newer kind of assistant experiences are, yeah. are very important too and should be considered in a similar way to how we think about sound as part of the experience. There should al- also be a nice relationship between the design attributes that we're working with as we think about sound and the design attributes of uh, be it the voice or the tone of conversation, uh, they need to work well together. They need to harmonize, and um, there really won't be a, a a pleasant product experience if there isn't a good relationship there. But it applies across the board. I mean, it's absolutely true that uh, uh, voice and and character and personality 
um, should work well with sound, but also so should the look and feel of the user experience. So from a visual perspective, the look and feel of a, if it's a device, the ID, the industrial design mm-hmm. uh, too should uh, should make sense. And, and you can't have one thing be like very cartoony and another be very, you know, serious and um, uh, orchestrast- or orchestral or something like that. So, um, you know, there needs to be a nice relationship between all aspects of the product design story um, uh, right across the board from from the uh, smallest instantiation of a sound right up to the biggest one, which would be how it represents the brand. Um, and that is actually, you know, to um, to. Uh, really think about sound as a successful part of the product experience. We like to take uh, a systems approach where we think about the hierarchy of sound. Um, so, you know, the the lowest kind of level of sound that we might have in a product experience would be uh, system sounds. And even those are kind of broken up into primary sounds, secondary sounds. But then you start to get into categories and hierarchies of sound that are maybe a little bit more prominent in terms of either getting the user's attention or uh, representing the product or the brand. So we have things like uh, alerts and notification sounds that are designed to get the user's attention. And then we have uh, moments that we think of as hero hero moments. Mm. So sounds that are uh, that should maybe stand out a little bit, sounds that could be used in in a TV or in, in advertising. Uh, and then the highest level of sound uh, would be the brand sound. So that might be kind of a, a more singular moment that represents what a brand is. And, you know, there's plenty of examples out there of, of brand sounds. Um, and the most successful ones are ones that are uh, kind of uh, associated in users' minds with certain brands. Sure, sure. No, I mean... I've got uh, plenty of associations with products from decades before, like my, you know, my, my old, old Nokia phone from the nineties. And I can still yeah. complete, I can totally hear that ringtone, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's, ah, that's so interesting. The, the idea, and uh, I was going to say the idea of a design system around sounds, but then I went and saw that there's a whole section in the material design guidelines for sounds. I'm assuming you're well connected to that work. Yeah, yeah, that was something that I was fortunate enough to be able to work on uh, with a with a great team two years back now is when we released that, and um, uh, I I really enjoyed that work because it took a lot of what we were doing anyway internally at Google, uh, uh, where we were you know espousing the principles and the thinking behind sound and good use of sound. So, you know, if there was maybe a, a product team that I wasn't able to work directly with, but they needed some uh, aspect of sound as part of the product experience, maybe I could recommend um, a, a sound designer or a, a, a vendor or something to go and, and work with. Um, and pro- But I'd like to provide a set of guidelines to make sure that the work that they were doing would fit into, you know, what we would call a googly type sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so those ty- those principles and those core tenets of design that we were using, um, I was able to take those and then uh, create a, a, a distilled version that 
um, anyone in the world can use uh, as they think about sound as part of the product experience. So I think that that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, powerful potential there for people to take those principles that we're already using and just employ them themselves. And uh, we even provided a set of sounds that people could use in in any product that they wanted. Hmm. Uh, So um, that's all available um, in the material design guidelines uh, material.io, I think is the URL. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the, the show notes for this episode. So it's a little bit like uh, the the uh, unlicensed fonts or open source fonts or all the icons that come along with the material design recommendations and stuff like that. Huh? Exactly. And, and even, you know, in addition to providing the sounds, I think more importantly, it's it's the guidance around how we recommend sound be used. Um so that people can can think about sound that is mm. does maybe adhere to those uh, uh, first principles that that I mentioned earlier, and uh, become something that's a, a valuable part of their brand. So you know they can take those guidelines and build up some brand equity for themselves. Um, that's that's I think something that uh, I would love to hear in the marketplace. Yeah, I bet. Uh, let's take a little break. We'll come right back and. Uh... I have a few more questions. All right, let's uh, take another break and hear from our friends at Microsoft who have a new podcast uh, called The Inside Track, all about the automotive industry, how they're using technology. Uh, It's really cool. It's always fun to find a new podcast to listen to. Uh, This one is hosted by resident car guy, Carrie Lovell. Uh, The interviews that he does uh, are with industry experts, insiders, analysts, uh, and they, you know, they talk about long-term trends, evolving expectations that people have when buying cars and the effects of technology, uh, and how it's advancing and what that's doing to the automotive industry. Um, the show covers a bunch of segments like, uh, like how artificial intelligence is being used in automotive manufacturing, uh, what's going on with connected vehicles, uh, how they're using cloud simulations and, um, and intelligent infrastructure. They've got guests from uh, Audi and Toyota, Anata. Uh, Anisys, SBD Automotive, loads of stuff to listen to. It's really, really interesting. I was listening to an episode recently that had a fascinating discussion about the design of self-driving cars. Uh, In particular, it looked at how AI and massive clusters of cloud servers are being used to simulate what these vehicles might experience and measure how they might react. Uh, All of this is being done to improve autonomous cars way faster than they could by driving them around in the real world. Uh, So really compelling stuff. Go have a listen. Just search for The Inside Track wherever you get your podcast or click the link uh, that I'll put in the show notes. Uh, So thanks to The Inside Track and Microsoft for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So one of the things that I'm also interested in, I've heard you sort of allude to it as we've been talking here, uh, but uh, there's very deliberate sound design choice to not play any sounds sometimes. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. um, So I I actually, when I... We just talked about the material design guidelines. When I um, when I announced those first, you know, we, I wrote a, a, an article on Medium and called it "Designing Sound and Silence." And really, the thinking there is that because one of our uh, principles is around the idea of being informative um, and and sound having function we really need to be careful about when and how we play sound. 
Um, sound should only be played for a good reason. We don't want to be overly decorative with sound because we run the risk of sound becoming quite annoying. Um, so I like to think about um, what I have called silence design as just another aspect of sound design and the um, the kind of relation, the uh, relationship there that you could draw is that is the idea of negative space mm, in visual sure. design. Yep. Uh, so, you know, in visual design, a lot of times um, the, the principle is, is like less is more and actually understanding the relationship between uh, uh, the relationship that negative space provides. Um, that's how I think of silence. So s- silence is, is absolutely something that should be considered you know, when I work with a product team, they ask for a certain sound, maybe. Uh, I My inclination is always to push back and to say, well, do we really need a sound? And to, um, to you know, really do the due diligence there on understanding is, is sound or silence a better option here? Um, because, you know, we're all familiar with... Um, people hearing lots of sounds in, in everyday environments. We don't want to overload people with sound because, uh, you know, from a sound design perspective, you're really diluting the power of sound, the more sound that you add. Uh, you want to reserve the moments where you're trying to get the user's attention for moments that, that really need it. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen in different um disciplines like in the aviation or uh, medical industry how where sounds have been studied maybe a little bit more closely um in aviation for example there was studies that showed that uh, people were more concerned with just turning an alarm off than actually investigating the root cause of that alarm and uh in the medical field where um Anesthesiologists, uh-huh. am I saying that correctly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anesthesiologists had admitted to uh, deactivating sounds in a lot of cases because they just found the sounds annoying. And uh, the majority of them in one study had, had actually admitted to that. Oh, interesting. So like the, the, the severity of the sound did not match the severity of the problem. And so they would keep just getting rid of it. Exactly. And, and studies have shown that. I think another study showed that only 3% of sounds in uh, medical environments actually signaled real risk to a patient. Oh. So, um, I, you know, that may have, cha- may have changed over time since that study was published, but it just shows that you really run the risk of uh, overloading people with um, poor quality sounds and with potentially annoying or even dangerous experiences um, if you don't design sound correctly and design silence correctly and really consider the role that silence plays as part of the product experience. Fascinating. Uh, I would imagine that sound design also goes through trends the same way that visual design does and uh, interaction design does. Uh, And I bet early on it it mapped, like you were saying, it mapped to the technology that was available. We can do polyphonic and we can do digitized sounds now and things like that. But there's also like uh, the difference between skeuomorphic sounds and abstract sounds, right? Like do we actually, when you unlock the you know, do we make the sound of a lock clicking or do we do, you know, something more iconic? Yeah. And I think that maybe to some degree, that's more, um, the, 
the uh, preference for whether you might do something skeuomorphic or not is a bit more variable and um, changes more based on um, trends, you know, in visual design, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's a good kind of healthy thing to see. uh, uh, The more subjective aspects of sound and the treatments of sound changing um, and reflecting trends in visual design or in, you know, other kind of aesthetic aspects of, of the brand or the product experience. Um, because it really shows then that sound is a more integrated part of the product, uh, uh, the product experience. So I think that that's, that's a good thing. I think, um, in general, you know, whether you have a skeuomorphic sound or not, um, it's always good to consider the role that a skeuomorphic sound might play as part of the product experience. So sometimes there's good reasons to play a sound uh, that is maybe associated with a real world action. Um, and a you know a classic example of that is is a camera shutter sound, where oftentimes we'll still play the sound of a camera shutter or something that evokes and you know uh, an analog camera shutter sound even on a digital device. And that's just because of an expectation that is there with, with users that they, they want to hear a sound uh, that tells them that the camera has taken a picture. Um, and the most obvious and intuitive way to do that is to play the sound that is associated with a, a camera taking a picture. But for experiences that don't, you know, don't necessarily have real-world analogies like maybe a scrolling sound or hitting an end of a list or things like that um there's uh no need to necessarily play something uh skeuomorphic or representative of a real world event there and there you know there may be good reasons even not to and and um uh, uh just considering the role of skeuomorphic sound i think is a is a good practice when it comes to product sound design yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's super interesting. Um, now, I got to I gotta imagine that the future is very bright for sound design, considering we're all walking around with wireless earbuds and have uh, smart speakers all over our house. Like uh, audio-based interfaces, voice-based interfaces uh, just seem to be growing and growing and growing. Um, and there's got to be like all of the interface then comes from sound design at some point, huh? Um, well, I mean, there, sound design is certainly... a uh, uh important part of that uh product story and as products evolve into different uh instantiations i think sound plays new and interesting roles and the role of sound itself can change um so i think you know in terms of technological developments as you think about the role of uh space and localization of sound uh you know sound in three-dimensional environments that type of thing um, the the way we think about sound, the role of sound can change. Um, but there are also other aspects of that design that aren't necessarily um, within the remit of a sound designer, as you think about like voice and, and conversation design uh, that are very important too and will ultimately impact uh, what's heard, but um, aren't necessarily uh, done directly by the sound designer. But again, there needs to be that harmony and relationship between the different aspects of design so that the sound makes sense and feels like it fits into the overall fabric of the product experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
That's great. Uh, this has been a phenomenal conversation, really, really interesting stuff that um, it, it has a, an, a lot of depth under the surface that I was not quite aware of, and I, and I really appreciate that. Uh, if people want to look for more, like I said, I'll put some links to the uh, material design guidelines for sound. Uh, you've done a little bit of writing. Anywhere else uh, you think we could send anybody? I'll have a think about that. I can send you any more any more links uh, that people might, if they might want to check out uh, any more of that work. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Well, uh, thanks so much. We will be listening for more of your work. Uh, and uh, it's been wonderful to have you on the program. Thanks so much for your time. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen, and this was Presentable. Presentable.